Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us today, and thanks to Pastor Todd for reading the Scripture passage for us uh, this morning. Please keep your Bibles open there to Exodus chapter 32. And uh, if you have the notes that I also posted on the Facebook page, then that would be great for you to uh, get those handy as well, or at least a pen and pencil as we go through this passage. I want to talk with you this morning, and if you could see the PowerPoint slide about a philosophy that probably is embedded into our culture and into our lives, and that is of trying to have it both ways. Trying to have it both ways. We're going to talk about that a lot today, and I see this from this passage in verses 5 and 6. If you look at 5 and 6 of Exodus chapter 32, you'll see this. It says, And Aaron, Moses' brother, uh, one of the leaders of the nation of Israel at that point, and Aaron made a proclamation and said this, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose early the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And it says the people sat down to eat and drink. And then it says this, They rose up to play. In our English Bibles, I don't know what version of the Bible that you're using this morning, but that word uh, play there actually has an incredibly negative connotation. It wasn't just fun and games. It was sin. It had to do with sexual sin, actually. And you can study that more on your own. Here in this passage, in Exodus 32, and uh, we're going to start... in a blunt way, between the eyes type message today from this passage, looking at the nation of Israel, is this was a group of people that were trying to have it both ways. Aaron led the people in um, a worship to the Lord. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And then they got that out of the way and were trying and and then wanted to do what they wanted to do on their own. Folks, that is so much like culture today. I mean, look around. That is exactly where we are. We have a little bit of God, and then we want to get that out of the way so that we can do what we want to do. That is what's going on today. I heard this quotation or poem or prose years ago and went and looked for it this week, which is the typical attitude of the day. The writer, who I I could not find this, said this. I would like to buy $5 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or to disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine and to make me feel better. I don't want enough of God to make me love others or to help meet the needs of those around me. I want comfort, not transformation. I want warmth, not a changed life. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $5 worth of God, please. And I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Again, if we look around... There's certainly that attitude in culture today. A little bit of God. And that's what's going on here. A little bit of God. But then culture says, let me do 
what I want to do. A few years ago, a man by the name of Dr. Christian Smith, who is a professor at Notre Dame University, did a survey of, ended up being millions of Americans, I think. And he said that the leading religious thought today is what he called and what he coined this phrase. And a lot of other writers and social researchers have grabbed this phrase. And I've talked to you about it before here, church. And that is this idea of moralistic therapeutic deism. Let me try to break this down because this is exactly, Bible says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. And that's probably exactly right because these people here in Exodus 32, you, Pastor Todd read that passage for you, and you've read it before probably, certainly had this attitude, a little bit of God, but then let me do what I want to do. Moralistic therapeutic deism, according to Dr. Christian Smith, says this. Deism, in other words, there is a God. God is active, and there are a lot of people today at least claim that there is a God. Number two, moralism is that is there is good and bad in the world today. There is right or wrong. Certainly, you look out in culture, and you can see that there is <clears throat> there's sin, there's evil, certainly there's bad, and, and then we realize, well, there are good things that happen, people can do good things, and so there is good and bad in the world, and basically that comes down to me, and that is my response then is that I need to do mostly good, and I can do good, my life isn't a wreck, my life isn't a train wreck, I can do very good things, and then the third part of this is the therapeutic aspect of this religious philosophy and and that is basically pastor todd and i both talk with you about that and certainly we're looking at our own lives too and that is that god wants me to be happy and that god has to be okay with me doing what i want to do with my life and i think if we look at that i think uh, christian smith is exactly right i i look around and i think that that is the attitude of our day that there are people that say okay there, there is a God, there is a sense of right or wrong in the world today, but the overriding philosophy is let me, let me do what I want to do. And I, I'll do a little bit of God, but then let me get God out of the way so that I can do what I want to do with my life. And I think, I think that's more prevalent today than we could even imagine, and we'll talk about that from this passage. Let's go back to this passage. Verse 5 and 6 says this. And Aaron made a proclamation and said this, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah. And they rose up early the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And it's interesting there, I talked about that and um, before. Even the part in that verse where it says they rose up early the next day. It was almost like, again, I'm going to get God out of the way so that I can do what I want to do. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. They brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink. They had this banquet. They had this feast of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah. And then they rose up to play. Let me give you some quick observations, and then we're going to build an outline out of the passage that Pastor Todd read. Number one, notice that in this passage, that the idol that Aaron, we'll talk about this more in just a moment, that Aaron crafted for them was a golden calf. The people brought their gold earrings, their jewelry, 
uh, talks about the molten process, but it talks about an engraving tool that Aaron used. And in culture, I'm not going to go deep into the history here or anything like that, but in that culture, there was an Egyptian. Remember, they spent the years as slaves in Egypt. We talked to you, I talked with you about the Red Sea story, how God parted the Red Sea and and God brought them through that. And we've gone through this study in our mini-series here on the life of Moses and the nation of Israel. And so they had spent time, most all of them at this point, had spent a majority of their life in Egypt. And the calf was an Egyptian god. Folks, it was actually an Egyptian god of fertility. And yet in their culture, the calf which I think is, is interesting, and you can study this more on your own, here is that calf also allowed, even though it was a god, small g-o-d, a god, even in Egypt, it allowed for other gods, small g-o-d-s. In other words, they, the calf that Aaron made for them and the calf that they embraced and claimed that it was the calf that brought him out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and all of that was a god, but it was also a god that allowed for other gods, including Jehovah, the god of the universe, which, folks, is exactly, again, the point of this passage, and that is the people had a little bit of God, but then let's get that out of the way so that we can do what we want to do. Folks, Often in the New Testament, in the Bible, the Bible calls his word, God's word, a mirror. And this is one of those passages, I think. Folks, I, I want to look at you right between the eyeballs today with love and, and, and look back and realize the mirror is that God's looking at me too and saying that this is so much like culture today. And we're going to have to ask ourselves, have... I embrace this philosophy, and that is a little bit of God. But then let me get God out of the way. Let me get church, God's work out of the way, so I can do what I want to do. That is what was happening here. Um, I, I think that attitude permeates our culture today, moralistic, therapeutic, deism, or whatever it is. People's schedules is, I'll, I'll do a little bit of God, but... I don't want to count the cost, but later on in this passage, Pastor Todd read that, there was a terrible cost to pay, and yet they were willing to do it. And, and, and Pastor Todd talked with you about the covenant of love that we have with Almighty God, and we'll talk about that more in just a minute, about how God giving us requirements, if you will, and His Word, we'll talk about that. But yet, why wouldn't we, because of all that God do, has done for us and His love for us, sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to the cross and then why wouldn't we demonstrate our love for him as well? One other observation, a couple other observations about this as well. There are several times in this passage, Pastor Todd read it to you, but notice verse 1, verse 4, verse 8, verse 31, verse 35. All use the English word make or made. Folks, I think that here's the observation about that. Whenever there is a man-made God, the end result is disaster. 
And it could be our schedules, it could be our time, it could be ourselves, it could be an idol, it could be another religion. Whenever there's a man-made God, and it's interesting, I've talked with you about this already, a technique of Bible study. When God uses the word over and over and over and over and over again, he wants us to understand the emphasis here. Verse 1, verse 4, verse 8, verse 31, verse 35, made or make. Folks, here's the principle. Whenever there's a man-made God, the end result is disaster. The people had a worship to the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah God. They got that out of the way. In fact, they rose up early. I don't know if that was the intent or not, but then they sat, then they, then they sat down to play a word that means raunch, raunchy, sexual sin, and I'm not going to dwell there at all. You can study that. But that's what they want to do is get God out of the way so that we can do what they want. And it was so bad that in the passage later on when Moses comes down with Joshua out of the mountain, he hears the sound of the singing and the dancing and all of those kinds of things and just is distraught by their sin. And so those are some basic observations as we get started. But here's what I want to talk with you today. And we're going to turn some <coughs> some negative aspects of this story. Apply them to our culture, to our lives today. But out of that, craft some commitments for living for God, even in a very secular, self-indulgent culture. So as they look around, they were impacted by culture, the culture back in Egypt, the culture of the other gods around them, even going through the wilderness and so on. But there were three commitments that God wanted them to make. And I think that God wants us to make these commitments as well because these are the commitments that will end up being the thing that helps us live for God in our culture. And my assumption is, me, Pastor Todd, and, and all of you, that down deep in your heart, you want to live for God. And it's going to require the commitment, and this kind of builds on where Pastor Todd talked with us last week about the, again, about the covenant and about the Ten Commandments, and we'll get there in just a moment. Commitment number one. I think you read this passage, and you have to come to the conclusion that God wanted his people to make a commitment to the word of God. Look at verse 8. He uses this phrase. He commanded them. Verse 16 clearly says, the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God. God, from his earliest days, wanted his people to make a commitment to the standard of the word of God. The canon, a biblical theological term, the standard of the Word of God. Folks, you know me. I am not a carpenter. I, I, this illustration is even out of my leg. But let's just say that you wanted, that you needed a series of two by fours for a project that you needed, that you needed for your house or whatever. And let's just say the, the two-by-fours needed to be four feet or six feet or whatever. So you get out your measuring tape, right? And you measure, you understand. You know, measure twice, cut once. You, you understand. You understand that, that, that. That's what you're supposed to do. Measure twice, cut once. And so then you cut the first one. And then you take the first two-by-four and use that as the pattern for the second one. You take the second two-by-four and use that for the pattern for the third one. 
you take the, 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 the third two by four and use that as a pattern for the fourth one, and so on. By the end, you're going to get two by fours that are all kinds of different sizes because the standard changed. <clears throat> one of the things that is absolutely true from the Word of God is the standard doesn't change. Personal, human illustration that I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. One of the things when our children were little, one of the things that Peggy and I wanted our kids to understand is that there were biblical reasons for life's decisions, not cultural man-made reasons. So we tried to teach our kids the Word of God. And then who knew that when our kids were growing up, I'm a typical I'm a typical baby boomer. Who knew that our kids would be doing then what they're doing now, including a daughter that lives in Germany, that the whole culture is different and there's things that are allowed and, and, and culture changes. Who, who knew that? I, I didn't have a clue, but I knew the Word of God didn't change. And that's what um, God wanted His people to understand. And so if you read through this story, we're trying to help you with that. The story of the children of Israel leaving Egypt and going through the wilderness and God established them in the promised land, then you'll realize the emphasis on the Ten Commandments. Excuse my graphics on the PowerPoint. And Pastor Todd last week gave you a handout. It's still there on the, on the, on the Facebook sheet. You can go and print that if you haven't done that yet. And we can give you the PDF, which is available as well, the Ten Commandments. But if you read through this, I think you come to the conclusion that throughout history, throughout all of history, God's history, is that God always designed his word as the standard. And here's the point I'm trying to make. The standard, look at the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, you can go back and look at them on your own. We look at that as being restrictive and the commitment is too hard or whatever. But God gave us his word so that we would live by his word. That's the point. You shall have no other gods before me. They made a golden calf, an idol. No, thou shalt not make for yourself a carved or engraven image. They did that. You shall talk, not take the name of the Lord in vain. Boy, that's a big one today. Remember the Sabbath day to keep, keep it holy. The first four are very God-centric. And then honor your father and your mother. That's a big one today for our culture as well. You shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, shall not bear false witness or lie about other people. You shall not covet, and it gives some of those, there's lots of explanations there as well. <clears throat> Pastor Todd last week talked about that covenant relationship of love that we have with God. And we tend to look at these as restrictive, and that's not it. Because of what God did for us, he created us, he made us, he sent his son to die for us. It only makes sense that we demonstrate our love for God by doing, by living the way he wants us to live. And making that a priority in our lives. Instead of saying, I'm, I'll do the God thing, but let me get that out of the way so that I can do what I want to do. And that was their culture. By the time the New Testament came around, Matthew 22, a lawyer came to Christ to test him, the passage talks about, and he asked Christ for the two greatest commandments. And it's, it's really interesting that the focus of the Ten Commandments are wrapped up in these two greatest commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
we use that phrase a lot, do something with all your heart. And I love that. That's like the control panel of our lives. And there are some that say soul, mind, other passages use the word strength. That all of those things divine heart, or describe, define heart. In other words, God wants our heart. God wants us to do everything, not to where we have a little bit of God. And then do what I want to do. That's not giving God all of our heart. And then he said, the other one is just like you shall not love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, there. remember that I want $5 worth of God, please, that little poem that I showed you earlier? says you shall love your neighbors yourself. In other words, we have a responsibility then to show Christ's love, God's love to a lost and needy world. Again, here's the point. The word of God needs to impact our lives. I know you know this, but let me just show you some New Testament passages that emphasize that point. Remember the the two by four illustration. God's word is designed for us to impact our lives, for us to live the way God wants to live. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of Scripture is the very breath of God and is profitable. It impacts our lives for doctrine, teaching of the Word of God, for reproof, that that, that God Himself uses the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit of God to convict us of sin. Folks, that is a very good thing. It is. It's to keep us from going off the path for correction, how to fix those things that are wrong in our lives, and instruction in righteousness, the step-by-step instructions of how to live the way God wants us to live. That the man or the person of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Remember the point? God wants us to live by His Word. James 1.22, how clear can you get? James 1.22 says this, Be doers of the word and not just hearers only. I know, I know. We're sitting at home listening to a message on Facebook, online, and it's very easy to say, okay, put it away. Now life happens. God wants us to be doers of his word. Folks, I beg you. You could say the same to me. As a result of this message, God will convict our hearts and our lives will change because of the word of God. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and powerful. My goodness, living and powerful, the power of the word of God because God's word has the ability to change our lives. That's why we do this here is the emphasis of the word of God because God uses his word. It's not my ability to give a speech, it's not our programming, it's not our show, believe me, it's not that. It's the Word of God, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God wants to use His Word from all of time. God wants to use His Word to impact our lives so that we would then live the way God wants us to live. That brings us to commitment number two. We're going to do this quickly. Commitment number two is a commitment to a godly lifestyle. Okay, the Word of God. Folks, let me just back up and talk with you about that. The Word of God is designed by God so that we would know what God's Word has to say and that we would live it in our lives. I I would do everything in my power. 
to convince us that that starts, believer, with every day, every day making a commitment to study God's Word, daily devotions, daily quiet time, time with God, whatever it is, to spend some time in the Word of God so that you know the Word of God and can live the Word of God. If that's not your practice, folks, again, I want to look at you right in the eyeballs. Start with the Gospel of John. Read a chapter every day. Start with Proverbs. Day 1, read Proverbs 1. Day 17, Proverbs 17. Whatever, Whatever it is. Spend some time every day in the Word of God so that God can use His Word to impact your life. Other than that, then in our hearts, in our soul, it might be a little bit of God, but then let me do what I want. God uses His Word. That brings us to number two. A commitment to a godly lifestyle. Pastor Todd read this. Drop all the way down to verse 25. It says there, the people were unrestrained. I'm not going to talk you through the whole story or whatever. But Moses had come down from the mountain by this time and heard the sound of the music and the dancing and saw that the people were out of control, even naked and running wild. And Aaron had not restrained them. And the idea here is that even though by this time in the story, you can read back the last several chapters, God had made his word clear to them. The commandments were there clear. And they were basically the unrestrained, out of control, not living that way. And so again, commitment number two that God wants us to make in our lives is a commitment to a godly lifestyle. <coughs> Here in this passage, I'm going to do this very quickly. and In fact, that's why I kind of lumped them together. There are characteristics, I think, negative characteristics of especially Aaron's life, Moses' brother, that he had that I think what I'm going to do is take negative illustrations and turn those into positive principles and talk with you about what are those things, the things from the Word of God that will impact culture today and that will allow us to be different than culture around us that may have this little bit of God mentality. The first one is integrity. Integrity, God-given, Bible-based integrity, is something that is so different than what the world has today. In verse 4, it says that Aaron took the tool and fashioned it. Down verse 24, he lied to his brother. And he said, hey, uh, they put the jewelry in and the calf just came out. What a lie. Integrity is something that Aaron here didn't have. And folks, if we can be people of integrity, if the Word of God, remember back to the Ten Commandments, if the Word of God changes our lives and makes us, motivates us to be people of integrity, that's always going to impact culture. Another one is the idea of consistency. These are the verses we've emphasized all day today, verses 5 and 6, where they Aaron told him, let's get up early, let's have the feast to the Lord, L-O-R-D, capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah, God. But let's get that out of the way so then we can do what we want. And that is so prevalent today, that inconsistent, mixed bag of worship. I'll do a little bit of God. Maybe if I can fit it in with my schedule, maybe if I can have time once every so often. You know, I'm busy on Sundays. I'll save this. It's on 
it's on tape now. I can watch it whenever it fits into my schedule. I know I'm being harsh, but God is using this to convict me as well. Instead of making God and the Word of God a priority, I'll fit it into my schedule. And that seems to be exactly what happened here. Let's have a little bit of God, but then let's get that out of the way so I can do what I want to do. And if God is convicting us about that, then let's respond accordingly. The third one is responsibility. Down in the story, Aaron, this is so prevalent of people who sin in Scripture. Aaron blamed the people. He said to his brother, you know how the people are. Blame everybody else. I think if there's one thing that impacts culture and impacts people around us, friends, is when we take the responsibility for what we did. The truth of it is we are sinners. 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sin, agree with God that it is sin. If we, if I, we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, the part I underline, to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's take... Folks, let's take the responsibility to admit it's wrong, it's sin. That's what Jesus went to the cross for, is our sin. And if we confess, I mean, just think of how that will impact our kids and the next generation if we're willing to say, this is wrong, before God it's wrong, and I want to make it right in my life. God gave us a way to do that. We can confess our sin. Let's not blame other people. Let's realize that God provided a way to make us clean and righteous before God, 1 John. One nine. There's two more. Purity. You read through this passage. Talks about being out of control and unrestrained. I think here's another big picture observation from this passage, and that is whenever there are man-made idols in our life, the end result is always a lack of purity in our life. It is. If there's no God, if there's no standard, then we can do what we want. And that is a very dangerous place for our lives to be. And that was so evident in this passage, verses 6 and verses 25. Purity is different than the culture around us. And God wants us to live lives of purity. That's why First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says... This is the will of God that you abstain from sexual sin. Purity is God's standard. And then number five is activity. I didn't know of a better word for this. Talks about how, again, when Aaron was talking to Moses, he blamed, verse, 20, verse 31, he blamed the people for what he did. And then verse 35, it talks about how Aaron made this calf. The Aaron, I, the, the, the clip art picture that I showed you early in the, in the slide, earlier in the slides talk, showed you that illustration that Aaron did the, the engraving, the crafting of the golden calf, the activity. Certainly there needs to be activity in our lives, and that's the idea of our message today, remember? Is that God has given us his word, not just knowledge, but that our lives show the Word of God, the principles, that we know it and that we are living the passages of the Word of God. And that's why I took the time to share with you those five things because we need to live in our lives and take responsibility. And that is a life. If our lives demonstrate our beliefs, then those are lives that impact culture. Those are lives that impact others around. And 
that's a demonstration of how um, of how we believe, how we, that we love the Lord, and that God is active in our lives. Back to the passage, just commitment to a godly lifestyle. We read this earlier, where he calls the Levites together. He calls the people together. The Levites respond, who is on the Lord's side? <laughs> and I think that's the question that all of us need to answer. Are we, are we living for God? And the Levites were the ones that responded. There was a cost, folks, there was. The human cost of being a living a life that was dedicated to him and to live the way that God wants them to live. And then back in Exodus 24, I love this, so I added this. You can go back and read this. This is before the golden calf story even happened. All the people answered with one voice and said this, all the words which the Lord, L-O-R-D, Jehovah God, has said to us, we will do. God expects His Word to impact our lifestyle. And that is what will impact culture around us instead of the other way around. One more and I'm done. One more. There was a commitment to total dedication. Moses made this plea. Who was on the Lord's side? The Levites responded accordingly. And here's what he said. Consecrate. Not a word that we use a lot lately, but dedicate yourselves today. I probably should have underlined that or highlighted that more in his word, in, in, in the slide from that today. And that is God wants us to live lives that are dedicated to him. That's, I've, in the past, I've shared with you a little bit about my story. I came to Christ when I was five years old. I thank God for my parents. I thank God that I was born and raised in a Christian home. I thank God for that. I was, I was in church the first Sunday I was ever alive, my mom told me. And when I was five, I went to a child evangelism fellowship, Good News Club, and heard the message of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that day, I put my faith and trust in Christ. The teacher, Rosemary Clark was her name, said that, that Jesus came and died for me, and he would have done that if even I was the only one. I'm a little kid. I'm sitting there with my older brother, but I'm a little kid thinking, God died for me? That's incredible love that he gave his life for me. And if my thought process as a little kid back then was, if God loved me that much, then I should love him enough to give my life back to him. And I came to Christ when I was five years old. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up, but during the days, especially when I was in high school and a little bit later, I was one of those guys. I was, I, I lived my life that way. A little bit of God. I'll do the God thing. I'd go to church and youth group and I was president of the youth group and kind of ironic, I'd wear the white shirts on Sunday and because my mom and dad made me and then do what I wanted during the rest of the week. And my life was categorized by that. By the time I graduated from high school, I actually had this all figured out. If I get to do what I want to do with my life, if somehow the circumstances work out, if I get to do what I want to do, then somehow God is happy because he's making life work out for me. And there's a lot of people in life that have that same attitude. If life is bad, then, oh my goodness, then, you know, that stinks and and, and oh God, and we blame God for that. We blame people around us for that, just like these people here. But if our life is good, then somehow God is pleased and I can just go through my life. And 
that's how it was. <clears throat> and a lot of that had to do in my life with basketball and sports, and I had the opportunity to go to college for free, major in journalism, be a writer, which is what I wanted to do. And I thought life worked out great because I could do what I want and a little bit of God, but then I could do what I wanted to do and life was good. And then because of an injury that summer, I was up in the hospital in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I had injured my shoulder. And I've told you this story before. And the pastor of my home church came down. I had intravenous in this hand. I had this arm all wrapped up. I couldn't even use my hands. And the verse that my pastor, I think it's a, I think it's a law for pastors. When pastors go see somebody in the hospital, they got to read scripture and pray. So my pastor did that. And my pastor, the, the passage that he read, here, I, the hospital, I'm in a hospital room. And I got that little hospital tray in front of me. And there's no computer, there's no cell phones back then. This is the 70s. But my Bible, my parents had brought my Bible, was there on the little tray. You know, that they swing over for your food and stuff, which was a challenge when you can't use your hands. But there I am in a hospital bed, and the passage he read was from Romans, tw- or from Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, where it says the Lord loves those he chastened. And he did it to get my goat, folks. He did. And he, he prayed and left. It's in the pastor's rule book. They have to do that. And I'm there in the hospital room in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and no one else is around. And I'm looking at my Bible, can't even turn the page. The Lord loves those he chastens. And it hit me that God loved me enough that he had something better for my life than living for myself. Folks, I'd have made a mess of my life. I, I tend to do that even to this day. <laughs> I, make it, I, I tend to make a mess of my life. And that day, with no one around, Tears pouring down my cheeks, I prayed and dedicated my life to Christ and have tried to serve him and give my life and my family and my life back to him with everything that I have ever since. Folks, I believe that God wants us to continue making that prayer of dedication even to this day. I know you know this. We've Pastor Todd and I both have talked about this passage a lot, Romans 12. Let the Holy Spirit prick your heart with this one. Please let him. I urge you, I beg of you, brethren, fellow believers, fellow believers, by the mercies of God, (coughs) to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Yeah, there may be a cost, but it's a cost of dedication of living the way God's word tells us to live from that loving covenant of God. It's not hard. In fact, this passage says, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. It's reasonable. And do not be conformed to this world. That's what we're talking about all day. Letting the world around us squeeze us into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I look back and I can't tell you how thankful I am for the will of God in my life. Every single office I have had ever since. There's a verse, my life verse, is on a plaque in my office in my basement in my house from 1 John 2.17. The one who does the will of God lives forever. Folks, the will of God is to live the way he he intended us. 
we have the Word of God so that we can live the Word of God. And what it takes from us is a life of dedication. Who is on the Lord's side? Our lives will show it. The people responded. Moses said, okay, dedicate today to the Lord. Folks, I get it. You can't have it both ways. The commitments that God wants us to make in this secular, self-indulgent culture, self-indulgent culture, is the commitment to the Word of God, making sure that's a priority in life, so that we know how to live a godly lifestyle, so that we can dedicate our lives to the Lord and do the way, because that is so much better to live that way than trying to fit a little bit of God in and then doing what, I, what we want to do with our lives. Here's the thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close in prayer. And as I do that, I'm going to just pause for a few minutes. I'm going to pause a few moments to allow you to pray. <clears throat> I think this passage, this message, is one of those that we should respond to, that we should be doers of the Word. If we listen to this and go away and our life didn't change, then our preaching is vain, it's meaningless. And so maybe, by the power of the Holy Spirit, using His Word in our hearts and lives, remember, discerner, the thoughts and intents of the heart, is that God's Word can prick our hearts and challenge our thinking. And maybe maybe there's some of us that need to respond like I did in the hospital room in Scranton, Pennsylvania years ago and dedicate our lives to Christ. God, I'm done living for myself. I'm done living like the world, the self-indulgent culture around me. I'm going to live for God. And God, whatever it is you tell me to do, I'm going to do in my life. If God is prompting you, not me, not Mel, if God is prompting you, then you make that decision today. And certainly, Pastor Todd and me, or someone would help, would help you with that if you need that. But make a decision today. Maybe this is one of those watershed defining moments for your life today. I'm going to let you pray, and then I'll pray, and then we'll be done this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we confess to you that our lives are a mess when we try to live for ourselves or we try to live like the world around us. The nation of Israel adapting something from their former culture created an idol got God out of the way, that allowed for God to just have a little bit, for you to have a little bit of in their life so that they could do what they want. Oh, God, help us not to be that way. God, I pray that our lives would impact culture around us instead of that, instead of the other way around. God, thank you for your word, Ten Commandments, the Great Commandments, the principles of your word that we can read, that we can study, the things that we share so that our lifestyle 
reflects what we've learned, a godly lifestyle. And God, the commitment was a life of dedication. Who is on the Lord's side? God, I want to be one that steps up. I want to be one that raises my hand. I want to be one my family that says, I'll live for you. I confess I fail you so often, but I want my life to be dedicated to you and to what you have for us. God, we come to a message like this, in a series even, and we should respond. And God, I just pray for those that prayed this morning, that are watching, listening online, who prayed. And maybe there's some who prayed that prayer of dedication to put themselves on the altar as a living sacrifice. God, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. I'm willing to do that because that's a life that will be changed and that's a life that will be used to impact others for eternity. Praise you. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for our church. And God, I just thank you for how you use your word in hearts and lives for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, I, I beg you, don't let this go. If God is working in your heart, then you respond accordingly. Certainly you can contact Pastor Todd or me, and we'd love to talk with you about that, about what this means. But I think God's word is clear enough, so let's live those out in our lives. Commit to God's word. Commit to live the way God told us to live and to dedicate ourselves to doing that for his glory. Thanks, folks. Does it say how long?